Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew 24, verses 4 through 14. When you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's Word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will, be my, you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations when the end will come. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you've given us. Like this song said, I thank you for being a firm foundation that we can build upon. Thank you for getting us here safely, and I pray that we take this message and use it and apply it in our lives. I pray for the team in West Virginia that you keep them safe and bless them. And I just thank you for all the gifts you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So yes, we certainly want to continue to remember our team in West Virginia today as they left yesterday. They're going to be up there uh, sharing the gospel and aiding another church that's up there. And also a church plant. They're going to be doing a VBS there in that community. So um, we're going to have a special time of prayer at the end of the service um, to just pray that God will protect our missions team and that he will give them great opportunities and that he will also prepare the hearts of those who are already there that are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're very thankful for our team uh, taking time to go up there and do the work of the Lord. So as we finished up our series in 1 John called, called What is Real, um, I think uh, God helped me to understand and I hope he helped you to understand as well more about who he is. But as we live in the day and age we live in, um, you know, we think about the end of times. We think about the last days. So I thought it fitting to preach a sermon about the last days, about really how we as a church believe that the last days will come about, and also just so that we can be prayerfully watching for the coming of the Lord. So the title of the sermon today is The Beginning of the End, and it's going to be a part of this series as we talk about what does the end of times look like. Of course, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 24, and that is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's answering a question that his disciples asked of him. So one of the most difficult realities probably in life is understanding that difficult times are rarely short-lived. A lot of times, difficult times last a lot longer than we want them to. Um, sometimes the onset of trials are said to pass quickly, but when they carry on for a long time, it discourages us, and it gives us um, depression and anxiety, and I think that is something that's probably running rampant in our society today. You know, one good example is the COVID-19 crisis. You know, if we think about back in the year 2020, toward the beginning of the year, I know they began to shut down everything, and we thought, you know, two or three weeks and this thing will pass, and we'll be back to normal. Well, now we're looking at over a year and a half later, and we're still dealing with it every single day in our news headlines. Um, our, our government continues to talk about possibly reinstating mandates. And I know that every time that I hear those words, it, it's almost like a sense of depression 
falls over me because honestly, we never knew how good we had it until this came about in a lot of ways. So when thinking through that, we understand there's a real danger in that virus, but it does not keep us from understanding, too, that difficult times and trials a lot of times will always last longer than we want them to. Looking back, we see we had to deal with that, and we're probably going to have to continue to deal with that for some time. But in church, it's kind of the same thing. And what I'm trying to compare that to is the fact that we've always heard our parents and maybe grandparents, if you grew up in a Christian home, they would always say, the last days are here. You know, Jesus could come any day. It could happen tomorrow. And I think a lot of times we all get tired of hearing that. And we all think, well, you know, they've always said that. They've always said that, and it hasn't come yet. You know, and we start to think, you know, this thing, maybe this thing isn't really going to end. Maybe it's just going to keep on and on and on going. Well, we know that as a Bible-believing church, that the Bible is fully sufficient to explain all questions that we have in this life, all questions pertaining to our existence, to humanity, to our purpose, and to why the world exists and why we're here. We also know that the Bible is very clear about the end of times. Now, there may be disagreements in how the end of times will come about, but the Bible is very clear that the end is coming, that things as we see them now on this planet are not going to go on forever. There will be an end of them as we know it. So as we think through that, we're going to look at the Bible. And as the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, many of us would probably ask Jesus the very same question. So let's go back up in Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1. And we're going to see here this question that the disciples asked Jesus. It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 24, As Jesus left and was going out of the temple, his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. He replied to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. Verse 3, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, this begins the Olivet Discourse, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I think that is a pretty good question and probably one that we have all asked before. And what Jesus was alluding to when he was talking about no stone will be unturned is he was prophesying and predicting the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem that would take place in the year A.D. 70, which is when the Roman Empire destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, the temple known as Herod's temple. But then he goes on beyond that and begins to talk about events that have not yet happened yet. They had not yet happened when he was prophesying, and many of them have not even happened yet today for us in the year 2021. So it, it really helps identify where the end of times is going and what is going to happen. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, the Bible says this, Here is the first thing. In the last days men will come who will make fun of holy things. They will do what they themselves want to do. They will say, He promised to come. Where is he? Our fathers have died, and since then everything is just the same as it has been since the world was made. Did you know that if you scoff about the end of times and you say, oh yeah, I've heard that a million times, you're actually fulfilling prophecy. You're becoming one of the scoffers that Second Peter actually talked about. You're actually proving the Bible right when you scoff about the end of times. It's very interesting, isn't it? Well, verse 3, when the disciples approach him and ask him this question, Jesus begins to answer this question. Now, Jesus may not answer it exactly as they had wanted, and he probably isn't going to answer it exactly like we would want either. But in his infinite and holy wisdom, he gives them a beautiful, a, a very beautiful answer. I want to call this the period of time known as the beginning of sorrows. 
the beginnings of sorrows. And when you think about a timeline, a biblical timeline, the beginnings of sorrows is going to be that time period that precedes or comes right before the rapture of the church, which is in many cases exactly where we are now. You say, well, Ben, when is the rapture coming? We don't know. The Bible teaches us that no man knows the day or the hour. There is not a specific time that man even knows. The Bible even says that not even Jesus knows, that only the Father knows. And the Father will let the Son know when it is time. So here we're looking at this time period right before the rapture of the church. And we'll talk about the rapture next week. I hope you come back to hear about that. So we do that believe that the Bible teaches that things in this world will progressively get worse the closer to the end of times that we get, the closer to the rapture of the church that we get. Now, the rapture of the church is the time when God calls all of those who know Jesus out of this world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll get into more detail next week, but it says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. In other words, those who have already passed away, who are Christians as their bodies lie in the grave, their bodies will rise first, and they will be reunited with their bodies in heaven. And it says, those, and those that remain will be caught up together with them. Which means those of us who are alive, when Jesus comes back in the rapture, we will be caught up together with them. We will, we will cease to live in this world. We'll be caught up to heaven and be with our Lord Jesus Christ at that moment. That is the great rapture. So we're talking about the beginnings of sorrows, the time that is leading up to the rapture of the church. Now, if you will, in the, in the chair pockets in front of each of you, there's going to be a little piece of paper and it's going to say something like premillennial dispensationalism. I know that's a mouthful, but if you'll pull that out, all of you that are on the front rows, there's actually a stack right here if you guys want to grab one for yourself. And I will be referencing that some because I think it's always good to have a visual of what I'm talking about. This would probably be something good to even keep in your Bible. Now, a lot of churches do not have a specific stated view of the end of times, but did you know that Pole Creek does? I don't know how long Pole Creek has had um, our view of eschatology and what eschatology is. It is basically the study of end times, the study of the end. So in our statement of faith that is in our bylaws and our constitution, we actually have a statement on what our church holds to as a belief of end times. And the statement says that our church does believe in the rapture of the church and the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. So what that means is, in technical terms, that our church is historically a dispensational premillennialist church. Now, when you get into the end of times and you get into the book of Revelation and you start talking about that, Christians of like faith can go many different directions with the end of times. There is a group of Christians who I believe know Jesus and have accepted Christ who do not believe in the rapture and who do not believe in the thousand-year millennial reign, which we'll also talk about in the coming weeks. They also may not believe in anything literal in the book of Revelation, but believe it's all allegorical. There's other Christians who believe that the Christians will live through the Great Tribulation, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, and even will, uh, the earth will get progressively better uh, until the end, which are called post-millennialists. So there's a ton of different directions that you can take from this, but Pole Creek has traditionally and historically stood on this view, on this sheet of paper that you have. One thing that I love, because I'm not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree, Hannah, you can say amen right there. I like pictures, and I like colors, and I like, I like little arrows and little symbols, because they, they, they seem to help me understand things a little bit better. So when you look at this timeline here on this little sheet of paper you have, you're going to see the cross there at the beginning of that timeline. Now, before the cross, 
is known as the dispensation of law. Now, what a dispensation is, is it's simply a period of time, okay? After the cross, the remainder of the blue, leading up to the rapture, is known as the dispensation of grace. Then after the rapture, you have what is called the dispensation of judgment, which contains the seven-year tribulational period that is spoken of in Daniel. After the tribulation, you then have the dispensation of the kingdom, which encompasses the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on earth. And we're going to talk about all this in the coming weeks. But I want you to be able to get in your mind a timeline of how the Bible transpires throughout Scripture. Since we do believe in the rapture here at Pole Creek, and we do believe in the seven-year tribulation, and we do believe in a literal thousand-year millennial reign after that tribulation, we are a dispensational premillennialist church. And you probably will never use that word again, and that's fine. All you have to know is you believe in the rapture, and you believe in the tribulation, and you believe in the millennial reign, okay? So, so we believe that those are literal time periods that are going to take place. Throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you, every bit of Scripture was going to fall into one of these dispensations, okay? And what I mean is, again, time, time periods. So when you go back to the very first dispensation, it's known as the dispensation of innocence. And that began at the creation of man and ceased at the fall of man or at the moment when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you have that time period where man was perfect and man was innocent, and it ended there with that event of eating the apple. The second dispensation is the dispensation of conscience. That is where from the fall of man, from the time that man ate the apple, to Noah's flood, God dealt with man in a particular way in regard to sin. The third dispensation is the dispensation of human government, which is from Noah's flood to the promise given to Abraham. The fourth dispensation is the dispensation of promise, which is from Abraham to the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, or what we all know of as the Ten Commandments. So from Abraham to the giving of the Ten Commandments is the dispensation of promise. We then get into the dispensation of law. The dispensation of law is from the moment Moses brought down the Ten Commandments to, the Cal to Calvary, to Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Now, you will not argue with me, I hope, that they did things a little differently in the Old Testament than we do today. Would you say amen right there? Amen. Raise your hand the last time you sacrificed a goat on the altar. Man, nobody. All right, that's good. You know why? We live in the dispensation of grace, not the dispensation of law. Even though God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even though he is holy and always holy, even though sin is always sin, God has dealt with human beings in different ways in different times in history past. He will also deal with mankind differently even into the future. That's why it is so important as believers that we don't take things from different dispensations in Scripture and try to directly apply them to our day in life today after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's why the Seventh-day Adventists get in so much trouble over the Sabbath day. They're going back into the dispensation of law and they're pulling out, keeping the Sabbath day holy, and they're trying to live by that. That's the reason the Jehovah's Witnesses get in so much trouble. They go into a future dispensation and they talk about the 144,000 Jews and they try to directly apply that to themselves today in this dispensation. You always get in trouble if you don't carefully consider the time period in which it was written and to whom it was written. 
So then we get to that dispensation of law, which is the Old Testament, which stops at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A lot of people think, no, the dispensation of grace begins in the New Testament. But actually, the four Gospels contain a lot of material that pertains to the dispensation of law because Jesus had not died yet in a large portion of the Gospels. The book of Acts is really the birthplace of the dispensation of grace. So we are now in that dispensation. We are in that time period, the time period that is following Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And what will end the current dispensation that we're in is the rapture of the church. So when you look at your little timeline, we are in the middle between the cross and the rapture. That is where we are currently. We see here in Matthew chapter 24 that times are going to get progressively worse. Now, Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus prophesying of the future. And we see that in verses 4 through 8, he is definitively talking about the time before the rapture. There are disagreements among scholars that verses 9 through 14 could be talking about before the rapture. There's some that say that they could be taking place during the tribulation. Regardless, there is a common theme here that the world is going to get progressively worse until that day comes. Jesus' main objective, though, and this is what I want us to focus on. We can talk about the exact details all day long. We can talk about you know, trying to, to decide, well, this just happened in the news, so that means Jesus is coming here. You can't do that, by the way. You know, you may hear of earthquakes over in Japan. You say the earthquakes are increasing. That means Jesus is coming tomorrow. You can't do that. Okay, because Jesus is not giving us a definitive, this is exactly when. As a matter of fact, he's telling us when the end of times may begin. Basically, the, he's talking about the time period that will be leading up to the rapture. And he's saying there in verse 8, all of these events, events are the beginning of labor pains, the beginning of sorrow. So he's not even telling us when the end comes. He's telling us when the beginning of the end comes, right? So Jesus is... Uh, objective here is not to tell you exactly when he's coming back. He's just wanting to give you an idea of what it will look like, but he's wanting you to stay focused on a few things here. And that's what we're going to look at. So Jesus's main objective in this portion is that we would not be misled about what is currently taking place in our world. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, and again, we have those sermon notebooks at our welcome centers that you are welcome to get. They're just blank notebooks that you can take notes in. But if you're taking notes, this is the first thing that the Lord wants us to understand when it comes to the end of times and the beginning of sorrows. Don't be misled. Do not be misled today. Verses 4 through 5, Jesus is speaking about that very thing. Jesus replied to them, talking about his disciples, Watch out. Be alert. Watch out that no one deceives you. Now, he's talking to us today. Watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You know, one thing that I think about when I look at historical figures is I think about, I wonder who influenced that person the most. I wonder what person or people or, or ideas influenced this person to become who they are today. And when we all think about our lives and our upbringings and our childhood, you can always think of at least two or three people who probably played a huge part, who were very influential in your life, and you can give credit to them for who you are today. You know, one person that's always fascinated me is Winston Churchill. You know, Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England during World War II. Um, they were a very vulnerable country, being relatively close to the Nazis in Germany. 
uh, Hitler understood that if, in order for him to win Europe, he would have to go through England. He would have to go through Great Britain. Um, Hitler even bombed London many times. And the, the, the English people... Uh, would have been very intimidated because the Nazis were very powerful and had already taken over a large portion of the country of Europe. But Winston Churchill, I believe, was called by God at that particular time to be the prime minister of England because he was a man of backbone. He was not a pushover. He didn't care if you liked it or not. He told it like it was, and he fought World War II to win the war, not to just appease or to prolong it, but he fought it to win it. And I believe God blessed in defeating the Nazis using leaders like Winston Churchill. But he wrote an essay called The Dream one time, and it was basically an imaginary conversation with the ghost of his father, who died in 1895. He died fairly young, but, but Winston Churchill talked about how his dad was just a great man, a great leader. He even served in the army and the military. He was a dad who was present and who was, who was good to his family. And what, what was asked was, whenever um, that originated, the reason he got the idea to write about this, um, this conversation that he would have with the ghost of his father, it all originated when someone at the dinner table asked Winston Churchill, what historical figure would you like to see fill an empty chair at this table today. And Winston Churchill's uh, reply was just immediate, the, my father, of course. He, he would have loved, out of anybody in the world, he wanted to see his father. His father was influential in his life and helped make him who he was and gave him the qualities that he was able to use to really deter the world from becoming uh, German. So influence is a real thing, and you, you need to remember that, and you need to understand that. Even as you sit there today, just think about that. Think about who in your life has influenced you and brought you to where you are today. Well, here's the thing that we have to understand. is Jesus is saying, do not be deceived. Watch out. We need to understand that we are people who have the ability to be influenced, that we are very influential and moldable, that we are many times who we hang out with, we are many times what we consume. If you watch enough of one thing, you're going to start to believe it. Did you know that? That's why it's very important, uh, students, folks going into college, when you go into a secular um, state school, you have to understand that there are underlying agendas. I'm not saying you should not go, but I am saying that you have to be careful because you can be influenced by the propaganda that is taught in our government schools. You have to understand that we as human beings change. And we change based upon what the outward influences in our lives pressure us to do. That's why some people, you know, if they're, if they're steadfast in their faith and they are careful to protect their heart and to protect their minds, they're able to weather storms of adversity and weather storms of um, indoctrination and false teaching because they are founded. But many of us, I'm afraid, are very flimsy in our faith. Many of us, I'm afraid, if we'll hear just the right thing, we'll jump on board and believe it. And we have to be careful. Jesus himself is saying, don't let anyone deceive you. You can be influenced today. This world can influence you. It can change you. The only way that you can never change, by the way, is if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus never changes, by the way. The Bible says that his word endures forever. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 19, we preached on this several weeks back, but it says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. Did you know that we live in a world full of Antichrists? And that's plural. And an Antichrist is simply this, someone who denounces the true nature of who Jesus Christ is. Someone who says Jesus is not who he said he was. People who say Jesus did not exist. People who blaspheme Jesus, who curse Jesus. These people are antichrists. We see it all over the place. We see it in the entertainment that we consume, in the TV shows that we watch, in the newspapers that we read, on the billboards that we pass by every single day, on social media that we look at every single day. The indoctrination is taking place. And in reality, this is not something new, by the way. This is something that has been taking place ever since Jesus died and rose again. Remember the lie that the Romans and the Jews were telling shortly after Jesus rose from the dead? They said, listen, if anybody asks about this body of Jesus Christ disappearing, make sure you tell them that his own followers stole the body. Make sure you tell them that he didn't really rise from the dead, but as a matter of fact, somebody stole the body. That was really the first part of propaganda that was anti-Christian and anti-Christ, was denying the resurrection of Jesus. But we see that it's been continued ever since then, even unto today, to the point where people have developed a new Christ. You know, the thing about Satan is this. He is very, very good at what he does. He, he likes to trick us. He likes to pull the wool over our eyes. And he knows that you are not going to bite his lies if he is very blatant about them. But he'll, he'll cover them up and he'll make them look really good or he'll make them sound really good or he'll put just enough truth in them that, you know what, that might be right. Well, that's what Satan has done with Jesus. He has created a new Jesus. He, he's created this Jesus who doesn't even exist in liberalism and liberal theology. Even many of our Baptist churches are falling into this. All of the mainstream Protestant denominations are in this. The United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, um, many of these other churches, the liberal stream of Presbyterians. And they're teaching a liberal theology that says, you know what? You might be living in sin, but it's okay. God still loves you. It's okay. We just want you to be happy. We just want you to do whatever is going to make you feel good. That is a lie out of hell, by the way. The Lord Jesus Christ never said, keep living in your sin and it's going to be okay. He said, I love you so much that I died for you so you wouldn't have to live in your sin anymore. He says to repent, therefore, for the kingdom of God is coming. We must repent of our sins. We must be a people who turn from wickedness and not encourage people to embrace their sin. Anyone who preaches a Jesus that is okay with illegitimate lifestyles and sinful lifestyles and lifestyles that destroy and hurt people, those people are preaching a false Christ and a Christ that is not in the scriptures. These people are, are preaching a Christ that was derived from Satan himself so that he can deceive as many people as possible and take them to a devil's hell. I want to tell you today that the only way that you can ever be saved 
The only way that you can ever go to heaven is you must repent of your evil ways. You must turn from your sin and you must turn to Jesus Christ, the one who died and the one who took your place for your sin on the cross. Because one day when I stand before God, I want him to let me in, not based upon what Ben did. Because if it was based upon what I've done, I'll be cast to hell immediately because of my evil and my wickedness. I know there's several people. I know JJ. I went to school with JJ. You talk to JJ one day and he'd say, Ben Heiss is the last one I'd ever think standing in that pulpit and preach. I'm a wicked person. But thanks be to God that Jesus took my place on that old rugged cross so that I can get into heaven not because of Ben, but because of the holiness and the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you hear anybody preach a Jesus other than that, they're preaching a false Jesus and they're trying to deceive you. Do not be deceived, verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 say this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Listen to this. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Quit falling asleep, church. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We go on down. The next thing that God does not want us to be today, as the end of times are coming, they're inevitably coming. We don't know when, but we know the Bible says they'll be here, is don't be frightened. That's nice to hear, isn't it? In this day and age. Don't be afraid. Don't have fear. Don't be frightened. These things have to take place. But we have a Savior who we know is going to win. Beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. Because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of of labor pains. If you watch the news a lot, you probably hear a lot about Russia and China in the news, pretty much on a daily basis. And basically, Russia and China have come to a place where they have been more emboldened now than ever before. They are no longer afraid of the United States. They are no longer um, have a healthy fear of the Western world. And they're, they're taking leaps and bounds of what they're willing to do now. Um, even Xi Jinping, the uh, Russian president, not to, or the Chinese president not too long ago, said that anyone who stands in China's way of, communist, of their communist empire, he said they would break their heads. And that was a speech that he made officially to the nation of China. So they're no longer playing around and they're no longer afraid of what America can do if America would even do anything. So we understand that there's no shortage of rumors. The rumors of wars are here and they've been here. And, and we know that, listen, there are very powerful countries in this world that if you get one whack job in charge of their nuclear missiles, who knows what could happen? We live in a very volatile world. But did you hear what Jesus is telling his disciples? Do not be alarmed. Do not be frightened. Do not fear because these things have to take place. They have to. You think about Israel. You know, Israel's in the headlines a lot. And Israel is literally surrounded by enemies. You know, you think about this. Literally every country that borders them almost except maybe one wants them to be destroyed and wants their demise. Rumors of wars. We know that that is taking place, and we hear it every single day. So I can tell you this. If you watch the news enough, you're going to get depressed. And honestly, I've quit watching the news. You know, I'll, I'll get on my little app maybe once a day. I'll flip through the headlines. If something seems interesting, I'll read about it. If not, I don't pay it any attention. 
Because listen, I don't care how many times CNN or ABC or Fox News want to beat a dead horse, what God wants to happen is going to happen. You know, no matter how much they want to stir the pot, and I'm going to trust God's word, and I'm not going to get any comfort from the news, I can promise you that. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. You know, one story I love in Scripture is the story of Joshua. Joshua was the associate of Moses. And as the children of Israel were coming through the wilderness, Moses was already known, or had already known that he was not going to be able to go into the promised land because of the judgment of God. So as Moses was about to die, Moses began to raise up Joshua to take the mantle, to take his place. Well, as the children of Israel have come out of the wilderness, they've come up to the Jordan River. And now it is Joshua's task at hand, basically his first task as the new leader of Israel, to get one million plus Israelites safely across the Jordan River. Now, that would have been very difficult to say the least. They didn't have CB radios. They didn't have ATVs. They didn't have anything that would help you manage a crowd of a million plus people. So you could probably say that Joshua was feeling a lot of stress at that moment. His first task as the leader was to safely get men, women, children, elderly folks, all of the above across the Jordan River safely into the promised land. Not to mention God had already warned them that when they got into the promised land, their enemies would be waiting for them on the other side, ready to fight them. Very difficult indeed, but this is what God told Joshua. And I believe this is what got Joshua through and allowed him to lead those children of Israel safely across the Jordan. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible says this. God says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Did you know today that even, even though we potentially are in the very last days of society and of this world as we know it, that the Lord is with you wherever you go, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, he paid your judgment on the cross. You have no judgment to fear because your sins have been forgiven. And you know what's so beautiful about the rapture of the church that we'll be talking about next week? The rapture is what pulls God's children out of the judgment period known as the tribulation. Because when God saves, he doesn't just save halfway. He doesn't just save partly, but he saves you to the uttermost. And when God saves you, guess what that means? That means you don't have to pay the price for your sins. That means that your sin debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus, which means he saves us so much so that he's going to take us out before the tribulation begins and a time of great sorrow begins to happen. So remember that today, church. Even though we're in this beginnings of sorrows and these beginnings of troubled times and we're hearing of these wars and rumors of wars and these earthquakes in divers places, we're hearing of all this stuff in the news, we're hearing of COVID-19 evidently coming back up and all this other stuff, I want you to remember what God told Joshua. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lastly, I want you to write this down. This is something else that God does not want us to do. Don't quit. Don't quit. We're going to see that in verses 9 through 14. I'm going to go ahead and read those beginning in verse 9 of Matthew 24. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold. 
But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know what I've noticed? We live in a world full of quitters. You notice that lately? People like to quit. And I don't get it. You know, people, somebody will have a great job, you know, making good money. I just didn't like it anymore. Man, are you kidding me? They're working somewhere making half the money. Well, you know, I just, I just, they, they worked me too hard. I just didn't like it. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, is this the, 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 the way the world is working now? And, I mean, there's jobs everywhere, by the way. And, I, I mean, I don't want to step on it. Well, actually, I don't care if I step on your toes or not. But <laughs> if you say, I can't find a job, well, you, you ain't looking. I don't know if you're looking for a job just up Milk Sit Cove where you can walk from your house to your job or what, but just hit 1923 and you can take it, you ha- have your pick. Work wherever you want to work, right? We live in a day and age of quitters. People quit jobs for any reason imaginable. Sometimes they even quit without a reason at all. People quit on their spouses. You know, I just, oh, I just don't love them anymore. What do you mean you don't love them anymore? You made a commitment to God to be with them until death do you part. Quitters. People quit on their families all the time. You hear of fatherless homes where dads have run out on their kids. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. They're a bunch of quitters. People quit on doing what's right because it's not easy. They say, oh, I just, you know, uh, well, we would get married, but we'll have to pay more taxes. So you'd rather save a couple of bucks and do what's right and what God has asked you to do. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. People are quitting. People quit on God all the time. They say, you know what, there's a bunch of hypocrites down there at that church. I don't, I don't want any part of that. Well, guess what? If you thought Christianity had anything but hypocrites, then you're full of mud. Listen, you're looking at the biggest hypocrite in here. You know why I need Jesus? Because I'm a sinner. You know why I needed to be saved? Because I'm a hypocrite. Because sometimes I think I got it all together when I really don't. Sometimes I think I know more than someone else when I really don't. I'm a hypocrite. Guess what? If you're honest with yourself, you're a hypocrite. Nobody in here can honestly say you've never looked down your nose at somebody. Nobody in here can honestly say, well, I wouldn't have done that. I can't believe they got themselves in that mess, but I promise you I wouldn't have done that. Listen, we're all sinners and we need Jesus. And you tell somebody next time they say that church is full of hypocrites, say you're right. Full of hypocrites, but we're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He can save you too. Don't go to church for the hypocrites. Go to church for Jesus. Hey, listen, he's still working on every one of us, by the way. People like to quit. And I want to tell you today, don't quit. Don't quit just when things get hard. Don't quit just when things get inconvenient. Don't quit just because culture is pressuring you to quit on God. Don't quit. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Now listen to me. You'll not have a better testimony in Scripture of someone who didn't quit than the Apostle Paul. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He suffered a traumatic shipwreck. He was hated. He was ridiculed. He was mischaracterized. He was berated. The Apostle Paul knew what it was like to hit hard times, yet... Some of his best writing of the scripture was written while he was sitting in a prison cell. Did you know that? That the apostle Paul refused to quit on God. Philippians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12, Paul says this. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. 
Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame, and they have focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject, subject everything to himself. Just for context, he wrote that while he was sitting in a Roman prison cell. Are you willing to stay the course no matter what? Are you willing to, no matter how hard it gets to be a, a follower of Jesus, are you willing to not quit? Are you willing to hang in there? Did you hear what the scripture said in verse 13? But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Does that mean you've got to work to get to heaven? No, no, no. That is called eternal security, something we talked about several weeks back, perseverance of the saints. It means if you truly know Jesus, you will persevere to the end. But you'll persevere to the end not because you're good enough, but because Jesus saved you and empowers you to persevere to the end. Then in verse uh, 14 we got to remember, we can't quit for this reason here. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, the Bible teaches that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented in heaven one day. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, the Bible teaches us that around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a great multitude of people. And they will be literally representative of every tribe, tongue, and nation that has ever existed on this planet. And you know what the Bible's teaching us here? That until a representative from every one of those people groups is saved, the end will not come. You know why missions are so important? Because there's still people out there representative of a particular people group who have never heard about Jesus. There are still people groups in the nation of India. Actually, I believe it's over 100 specified people groups, someone of a particular language, of a particular tribe, or a particular nation, who have never heard of Jesus and have no access to the gospel. You wonder why uh, evangelism is so important? You wonder why that Pole Creek spends over $100,000 a year on missions alone? It's because there is a lost and a dying world that needs to hear about Jesus so that we can usher in the rapture, so that Jesus can come back to get his bride, the church. We need to be vigilantly preaching the gospel to a lost and a dying world. It says this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, this is the apostle John talking, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. You ever wonder what's going to happen in heaven one day? There's going to be a lot of worshiping and praising the creator of the universe the one who died and the one who rose again. And you know what I believe? I believe we can, we'll still be able to see the nail scars in his hands. We'll still be able to see that hole in his side where the spear was placed because for all eternity, we're going to always remember that it's by the blood of the lamb 
that we've received eternal life. So I want to encourage you today, as we think about those folks in West Virginia from our church who are up there sharing the gospel, we're going to have a special time of prayer for them as we dismiss here in a little while. But I want you to be praying that God will embolden them. As you saw in our announcement video coming up the first Wednesday in September, we're going to begin evangelism explosion classes, which is a very simple way to share the gospel. And it's going to be a very unique training, unlike anything we've done before, because we're going to have what's called on-the-job training. Now, because of the intensity of, of the evangelism training and how you're going to have to have someone who really knows how to do it to be with you, there's only six people who can be a part of each class. So if you want to be a part of that, we've got two classes that are going to be going on this fall. You can go on our website under upcoming events, under small groups, and register to get you on that list. Because we're not playing. Our, our, our mission and our vision in our church is to reach our community and our world for Jesus. And we have got to do everything that we can to continue that mission. If we do nothing else, we need to see Jesus saving souls in our community. And I want our church to be a force to be reckoned with when it comes to evangelism. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you know all this seems like just crazy talk. Maybe you're, and, and sometimes you'll get that opinion of me when I talk anyways. But just remember, this is God's word. And there is a judgment that's coming. Maybe you don't know Jesus. The only way that your sins can be forgiven, the only way that you will not have to pay the price for your own sins is if you accept the price that Jesus paid for you on the cross. Jesus Christ was man. He was God. He took on flesh. He became man. He's 100% God, 100% man. He lived a perfect life. He died for you in your place. And I promise you, he bodily rose from the dead. And if you'll trust him today, you can be saved. And Jesus will save you and write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and all all this stuff we're talking about, this judgment to come, you won't have to worry about it because you're relying on Jesus for your salvation. As we go into a time of worship, go ahead and bow your heads and stand to your feet as our musicians come forward and begin to softly play.